0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Your Dose where we speak to jewels about their mental health experiences to help people feel less alone and more connected. So today we've got Harper, um, who is kindly here and brave enough to share her experience with OCD and chronic illness. So, hi Harper. Hello. How are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, it sounds like another American or Canadian. American. I
1: am from American. Denver, Colorado. Colorado.
0: Amazing. And h- how do you find America?
1: <laughs> the mess right now. <laughs> yeah? Yes. Thankfully, I... Love living here and I have a good support system, but the country itself is a bit of a mess.
0: Yeah, I have heard that a few times, but I wouldn't say that the UK is any better actually. So True. probably both, both in similar situations. <laughs> anyway, um enough of, of that sort of conversation because we're here to talk a lot and hit and learn a little bit more about you. So I think um one of the best questions for me to ask, first of all, would be to explain to the listeners a little bit more about your mental health journey so far where it all began and where you are today
1: yes so I started showing symptoms of obsessive compulsive disorder when I was around two years old so very young and then I wasn't diagnosed until I was 16 years old so After that is where my treatment journey began and I started therapy and after about two or three years worth of therapy, we learned that I was still really struggling and I was sent to partial hospitalization, which is a program that's about eight or nine hours a day doing intensive treatment for five days a week. And so I've been to four separate PHPs, one for my chronic pain and then three for OCD. And I would say they were semi-helpful. They weren't perfect, but they they got me functioning functioning enough in order to live a little more. But ultimately, they weren't the most helpful for me. And that's when we found out I was treatment resistant. And in 2019, I underwent deep brain stimulation surgery to have a deep brain stimulator placed to hopefully help my OCD and major depressive disorder.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a few things to unravel there. I'd say the first question that I have is how? what were the symptoms that OCD symptoms that you were displaying at, at two years old?
1: Yes. So at two years old, we had a family friend die. And at two years old, I obviously didn't know what death was, Mm. but I had enough understanding to know that it was when you never saw a person again. And so I became fearful that my parents would die or three of my siblings, that one of them would die and in their, most likely in their sleep. So I became very worried about them passing away in their sleep and never seeing them again.
0: Okay, so what would be would that would just be a an obsessive thought, or would yes. there be a compulsion associated with that?
1: So the compulsion associated with it was every night I would have a certain routine I would have to do in order to prevent them from dying in their sleep.
0: Would you mind?
1: <laughs> yeah. Explaining that? So it definitely developed over the years into different things and kind of evolved with my age. But one thing that has stayed consistent since I was two years old is saying "Good night, I love you" as my last words to each family member. So I couldn't say "Good night, I love you too. That wouldn't be allowed. It'd be "Good night, I love you," and if somebody said something to me after, I'd have to say it again and again and again and then, as I got older, my routine turned into more of a counting routine, so I had eleven seconds. To turn on my right side and hold my breath at the number thirteen, then turn on my other side for eleven seconds, couldn't breathe on thirteen, couldn't move, and then I would have to say good night, I love you to my guinea pig three times. Wow, yes, so it was the routine could take anywhere up to like two to three hours, and if I did it wrong, I'd have to start over and over again
0: so I mean probably um an obvious question but was your sleep interrupt- or interrupted during this period if, it's ta- if if it went wrong and you've already taken two hours let's say and you've got to go back to the start and you're meant to be going to sleep at this point
1: would that be an issue it was and one of my other compulsions was i would wake up in the middle of the night every night and i would have to make sure my parents were still alive so I would run into their room and I think I slept in my parents' room until I was about 11 or 12. And eventually they got sick of me <laughs> jumping on their bed and crawling into bed with them. So they put a mattress on the floor and I just slept on the mattress on the floor in their bedroom. So what?
0: Where? where was the process where your parents were like... Was it at that stage that your parents started to notice, and you you tried to go and get some help, or was it a later stage? Because obviously you're 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 still quite young at two years old when the family member died, mm-hmm. and you're still sleeping with your parent at parents at eleven and displaying these OCD symptoms. Um, is that when you yeah is that is that when you went to go and get treated or was there a sort of a bigger event which led to you
1: having to go and get some support I think we all knew something wasn't quite right with my brain and how it processed but we didn't know really until I was 16 what it was But I started getting help when I was 14, after my grandmother passed away, that she had a brain tumor and fought it for five years and then passed away. And this triggered not only my OCD, but my depression. And so I became really sick, really unfunctionable. I was failing classes and I was a 4.0 honor roll student beforehand. It just was a very drastic change and my family ultimately was like okay this isn't good we should get her into therapy and that's when I started
0: so you mentioned something called PHP is that right
1: yes partial hospitalization program
0: can you explain that a little bit more
1: yeah so there are different tiers of treatments which so There is outpatient, which is once, two times, three times a week where you go for an hour. Mm -hmm. There is IOP, which is intensive outpatient program, which is usually about three to four hours and you go to a special treatment center where you do treatment for those hours. And then PHP, partial hospitalization program, is a program used with severe OCD, but it isn't like residential where you live at the place you get to go home at night but you spend most of your days in treatment
0: right okay so the php was sort of the last resort of treatment for you after trying other treatments
1: i could have gone to residential but i think my ocd was so severe that being there would have been really hard for me Not necessarily the treatment itself, but being away from my parents and all of that.
0: Especially when the OCD is very much surrounded around.
1: Yes. And ultimately, I probably would have been helpful, but because I'm treatment resistant or was treatment resistant, it wouldn't have made much of a difference, I don't think
0: okay so so that's so so now i think it's interesting to go into the treatment resistant side of things because when i first spoke to you originally um and you shared your story on my page that's something that's very very rare i assume
1: mm-hmm. um <laughs> i'm not sure how rare it is yeah i don't think it is as rare as people think but mm. the severity of myocity is what kind of triggered it's so difficult to yes
0: okay so um so you, you you tried these different treatments that didn't work and I guess you your parents were starting to um to get annoyed obviously you were you were probably at the end of your tether because nothing's working so then what happened after that how did it lead to you getting the brain scans or the brain treatment
1: yes so I went to my therapist who I had been seeing for a couple years and he was saying it's clear you're struggling still it's clear nothing is working I know a doctor who works at the hospital he works at who is helping program people's deep brain stimulators in order to Help their OCD. And so he reached out to this doctor and said, hey, would you be willing to see my patient? Gave her a bit of my story. And that's where really the whole deep brain stimulation process began. But it would take, what, over a year to become a candidate and have insurance approved in order to be able to have it.
0: So... Can you explain what deep brain stimulation is? Yeah.
1: So, deep brain stimulation is a surgical procedure in which they implant two electrodes into your brain and then they through two holes in your skull. And then they have two wires that run from down your skull, under your skin, down to your neck, into two batteries in your chest. And This device sends electrical impulses into the brain, constantly helping with OCD. And this was
0: effective?
1: For me, yes. My Y-Box, which is the Yale Brown obsessive compulsive scale, I scored a 38 out of 40, which is like very severe OCD before. And my score has dropped over 40% since then, which is about the average seen when this procedure is done
0: so this
1: was over a year the procedure to no so the procedure was very short but it took the process into becoming a candidate for the procedure because there was specific candidacy requirements was over a year and then getting insurance to approve it was long as well
0: that makes sense and when you have this one treatment do you have another one like follow-up treatment or is that it
1: so it's so it's not necessarily uh, what am I looking for like a treatment you get every so often mm-hmm. that it's a device that literally stays in your body and constantly oh, sends electrical impulses into your brain, oh, so gosh, like if bad. you look, I have a battery here and a battery here.
0: oh my gosh, and I so can scary. feel them that's crazy, <laughs> yes that is insane is that the only treatment that you've had now or do you have anything else in um supplementary like you know medication or therapy mm-hmm. alongside
1: so i am continuous in therapy once a week or i guess twice a week if you include group because i'm also in group therapy so i have therapy twice a week and then i remain on high doses of medication for ocd and depression as well That. Deep brain stimulation wasn't meant to be a cure, but it was meant to kind of help me and help the treatment process work for you, if that makes sense. So I continue to be in therapy and probably will be for the rest of my life. And same with the medication. But the functioning level I have compared to before is incomprehensible. That's amazing.
0: Um, I've never actually heard of this treatment before. So, um, yeah, that's incredible. So how does your life look different today before you had this treatment?
1: Before I had this treatment, I was spending about, I mean, I would say every waking moment over 14 hours a day. Having obsessive thoughts and completing compulsions to go with those obsessive thoughts. And if I wasn't having obsessive thoughts, I was depressed and not functioning. And so now I would say I spend about eight to maybe nine hours a day having obsessive thoughts and compulsions, which is still a lot, Mm. but it's more manageable than what it was before. Yeah, absolutely. And do you like have a job?
0: Can you have not do you have like a normal life from the outside or is there yes. anything that think- that's amazing?
1: So, I'm so currently like, oh, Yes, I'm currently in art school. So, I'm an artist okay. and I'm getting my bachelor's in fine arts currently. So, I'm a full-time amazing. student.
0: And what is it that you're wanting to do after university?
1: After university, I plan to go to university again. And I want to get my master's degree ah. and become an art therapist. I
0: love that. So because one of the questions that I was going to ask you after you said that you studied art was, do you find art as a an outlet for oh, yes. your OCD? Um, it's very common when I speak to people and they I ask them, what is it that helps with your particular mental health illness they say that art is really helpful and it's a a form of therapy Mm -hmm. so like many people that i've had in this podcast you're using your experience to help others which is amazing um going back to the ocd a little bit i think um if you're comfortable would you be able to share maybe um some other themes that you've experienced because obviously you mentioned the um the themes surrounded by your uh, the family death and obviously led to um, thought, obsessive thoughts around your, your parents dying um is there any other standout themes
1: yes okay. that there is really no type of OCD that my OCD hasn't touched okay so one of my biggest Years was harming someone or harming a loved one that I didn't touch a knife for five years out of fear that I would stab someone I loved. Mm. And then trying to think, there have been so many different ones. It's comical to a extent, I should say, that I remember when I was in kindergarten, we went to a field trip at the zoo. And one of the zookeepers said, a Komodo dragon, I'd be the perfect size snack for a Komodo dragon. <laughs> and I think for the next two years, my OCD latched on that thinking there was a Komodo dragon that was going to eat me. And if I didn't oh, do something man. right, a Komodo <laughs> dragon. <laughs>
0: he had no idea that, he was, that two years of your life would associate with that thing. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then my dad has epilepsy. So he started having seizures when I was four years old. And that resulted in me believing that if I sat in a specific chair. I could prevent him from having a seizure. Wow. Which obviously didn't work, but to my brain, it made sense.
0: Yeah. So if. So did your dad have a seizure at any of those times when you were sat in that specific chair?
1: Um, no, I honestly can't remember the time. That time was so challenging that I don't have a lot of recollection from it. But yeah. I, I still have to this day safe chairs that if I feel I sit in, I'm safer than if I were to sit in a different spot. So it's not necessarily the fear of my dad's epilepsy anymore, but the fear of being safe. (laughs) Yeah, because
0: I was trying to understand if something goes wrong outside of your Mm -hmm. bullshit, what would that set off? How
1: would you react to that? I think before treatment... It would have been very bad and my OCD would have become more severe because I would have believed, oh, this is my fault. And to this day, sometimes when something happens in like the news or something and I see that what Mm. eight children have been shot, my brain automatically goes, this happened because you didn't do something right. But I'm at the point where I can recognize that that's a little absurd. That because I didn't sit in the correct chair or because I didn't brush my teeth right, that Mm. eight people died because of that. So Mm. I, I think with age and treatment, the ideas of OCD have become a little less taunting. And a little more unrealistic. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And in terms of um, relationships, so friendships and and people around you that aren't your parents, have you lost friends in the process of OCD? And, and how have people um, dealt with it, I guess?
1: Yes. So I had always... Struggled to make friends. That I also have social anxiety, so making friends was not easy for me. I had a good group of four friends in high school who I adored. They were great, they were supportive, but I had to take an extra year of high school. And when that happened, three of those friends just were kind of like, well, we don't want to be your friend if you're still in high school and we're going to college. And then it started kind of making me realize they weren't that great of friends when I was in friendships with them. Like they would trigger me on purpose and then laugh at the compulsions as I was doing them. Seriously? Yes. And so I realized this and I was like, okay, I am it was still very hard and not easy to go through, but I'm thankful I no longer have relationships with those people. And I've remained friends with two people from high school. One was a boy a grade younger than me, so he wasn't in that friend group. But they have been ultimately the most supportive and helpful people.
0: And how
1: have they shown support? Um. Well, my love languages are quality time and gift giving, which I hate receiving gifts, but I love giving gifts. So it's kind of a weird one, but they have ultimately made time for me. They're like, if you're struggling, I'm there for you. I can spend time with you and be there. That's amazing.
0: So I guess, I guess following on from that question, um, Obviously, a support system is clearly important to you when it comes to managing your OCD. What else is important?
1: Before my chronic pain really set in, exercise was vital. That Mm. I was a soccer player, competitive trampolinist, a swimmer. I have tried every sport and I loved it. And exercise was my way to express myself and get those emotions out. And then after I stopped being able to do as much exercise, I turned to art. And art is really the one thing that calms my soul and I love so much. But besides that, I need my family, spending time with my family. I have three older siblings and my mom and dad. And that's very important to me. And then my animals. I have a tortoise, a guinea pig, two cats, oh. and a dog. <laughs> I <love> so <gasps> I love animals, and that's also very important to me. Animals
0: are therapy. 100%. Yes, <laughs> that's um no, they they're very very good. Three, four things that you mentioned there. Yes. Um, so exercise you can't do as much anymore Mm -hmm. because of your chronic illness
1: yes can you explain
0: a little bit more about the chronic illness
1: so recently I mean I guess a little over a year now I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome which is a connective tissue disease that causes your joints to frequently dislocate and I also have postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which... Yeah,
0: what's that? I've never heard that term before.
1: (laughs) Yes, so it's also called POTS, but I live in Colorado, and when you say, oh, I have POTS, people don't think about the chronic illness. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah. (laughs) So POTS is a autonomic nervous system disorder that causes all the things your body does on its own, like heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, yawning, all of those stuff, all of those stuff, that didn't make sense, all of of those things to dysregulate and have issues functioning. So when I go from sitting to standing, my heart rate raises about 50 beats in a minute. Wow. So that that has been a journey trying to figure out how to handle that. And then the last thing I was recently diagnosed with was esophageal dysmotility, which means my esophagus is too wide and it causes constant heartburn for me, like painful heartburn, not just uncomfortable heartburn. So it's been an interesting process, but all of these things have made it very difficult for me to do exercise and function in daily life. Wow. Um, (laughs)
0: How did you, when, when were you diagnosed with this chronic illness, the first one?
1: I was diagnosed with EDS about a year ago. And I had suspected it for years. But it's considered a rare disease, which now people are realising it's not that rare, but it's still, in the name, very not well known. And um, is is the cause
0: of this known, or could it just happen? It's genetic. It's genetic. And do you have, so do you have a close family member with
1: we so my doctor assumes my mom has it but she hasn't been officially diagnosed okay
0: so how how is life with both OCD and chronic illness and also um another thing to point out is that an OCD th- theme is health mm-hmm. um, so did that when you when you were diagnosed with eds did that lead to any health related ocd
1: yes and no so ocd definitely latches on to my chronic illness in some ways but i've dealt with chronic pain since i was 13 years old so i kind of recognize them as two separate things that i have to juggle but i will say There are certain instances where my body does something new and my OCD immediately latches on and is like, you are dying and need to go to the ER right now. And it is scary, but I'm also still able to recognize that as OCD and I'm able to wait it out and be like, okay, if it doesn't go away in like 24 Mm -hmm. hours, maybe the ER is (laughs) a good place to be. But yeah,
0: um so how else has the chronic illness affected your life is it just been from a, i mean obviously exercise is a huge one for you especially if that is um a big a big way that you would typically manage your ocd um but it is a Is has it affected your life in any other ways
1: yes that i mean standing for more than 10 20 minutes is very painful for me and so I'm in a class in school right now that requires two to three hours of standing. We're standing in a dark room, processing film and doing photos and all of that stuff that I need to be standing for. So I actually just got my first mobility aid and I'm using a walker with a seat in there so I can sit down and just wheel <laughs> myself around. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, I mean, that must have been a shot. How old are you? I am 22. 22. And that must must have been a, a shock. If it, you were a, as an active person as well.
1: Yes. It was. Well, especially since my OCD only wanted to allow me to use a wheelchair. Ah. And the wheelchair my insurance company provided me with is too heavy for me to move on my own. Oh, no. So... The only other option was a walker, and my OCD was mad. It was very cruel, like, you are pathetic for needing this. If you Mm -hmm. use this, you're going to get weak and die. (laughs) Like, it was a very big struggle, and I've only used it once so far because I've only had it for about a week, and my I wasn't in school yesterday. So it's been a process but I think it will be helpful and I'm thankful for that but I'm also very nervous about it as well
0: yeah how did you overcome this um obsessive OCD theme about not using only using a wheelchair
1: that's a good question I think I mostly just had to do it out of necessity that I just kind of had to ignore my brain and be like if this is going to help me it's what I need and it isn't something I should be ashamed for which obviously I'm still working with because I am ashamed of it but
0: yeah oh gosh um but I just think that's number one it's it's insane that you've actually been able to overcome all of this go to university um you're going on to do your masters. you're going on to do to be a, a fine art therapist was specifically fine art or just art therapy um, so which is obvious proof that even through all of this t- terrible situation of both OCD and chronic illness that you can live a normal life um I, I guess there are t- there were times where you thought um I don't know if I'm wrong to say this that you might never be able to live a normal life is that true
1: very much so that I have been I mean it depends what you count as normal because I know still that I'll never live a normal life that Mm -hmm. I know things will be different for me but one thing I've learned to come to accept is that different isn't always bad and it's important to try my best to succeed with what I have, but also Mm. important to function in daily life and be a part of society. So I think there's a difficult balance there, but I'm still working to try to find that.
0: Yeah, I mean, normal doesn't exist anyway. What is normal? Yes. So um, so I guess in terms of, for specifically OCD um I'm sure that we will have lots of people listen to this podcast who, who have OCD because I know that um out of most of people that follow my page one of the most common mental illnesses is OCD so if there is somebody listening to this right now who is struggling who maybe um feels like there isn't a way out is there just one piece of advice that you would Give to them that you really wish that you had had at that time when you were at your sort of lowest point?
1: Yes. That I think the hardest part about it is the uncertainty. We have to learn to live in a state of uncertainty and function with it. And that's never going to be an easy thing to do for anyone. But for a person with OCD, it's even harder. And I think the one thing I would say to a person is there is always hope. That that's the one thing that really changed with my surgery is for the first time in my life, I felt hopeful for my future, for the world. I just felt like there was hope. and. It's difficult to say because it's like that was brought on by brain surgery. But if there is hope even with that, that means there's always hope in general. And that if you find those little things in life that you just find beautiful and you hold on to those and you keep fighting because of those, that's really what's going to make your life worth it. I love that.
0: And I think that leads quite nicely into something that i wanted to touch on finally which is your harper's hope page on instagram and now it makes sense why it's called harper's hope um because i remember and now it all makes sense and i I love that that's so nice um so before we wrap up maybe if you could just give a little bit of a brief overview of your page when you started it um and Have you got a plan with the page or what is it that you're trying to achieve?
1: Yes. So I initially started Harper's Hope Page as just a way to share my story and give people updates of what was going on in my life who may not live as near to me as I used to. And it's kind of turned into an advocacy platform where I not only share my story, but information about chronic illness and OCD and all these other things that I deal with. And educate people on them and how they can impact a person's life. And I think I'll continue to do what I'm doing on Herbert's Hope page for now. But I've also began a begun, began, begun. Good enough. <laughs> I also started a project called Letters of Grief, where I opened a P.O. box that is open to anyone And you can write a letter of grief to a person, a thing, an illness, anything you are grieving. Mm -hmm. And you can send it in and I will then shred the letter and make new paper out of the letters in order to make artwork.
0: Wow. Now that is actually incredible. That is so cool. Thank you. How do you do this? Obviously... Is that something specifically just
1: in um, the United States or can you do it anywhere? Anyone can send it. You do have to send it to the United States, but anyone from anywhere can send a letter. And I believe and I has do this
0: have... started already or is this
1: like... I do have a PO box already. I have not received a letter yet, so...
0: Okay, <laughs> We're well, just... hopefully from this podcast because I yes. think that's so cool.
1: And I do have the instagram page i believe is just letters of grief with an underscore on each or maybe a period i can't
0: letters of grief okay
1: i can Um, send you the link to it in
0: this podcast now um off the instagram page yes um so the stretch the paper you make artwork and does the where does what happens with the artwork does that then go back to the person that sent the letter, or does that stay with you?
1: That I was thinking I could sell the artwork to help fund the PO box. Yeah, but we'll we'll see. It's all up in the air right now, as I haven't gotten any letters yet. So we're trying. I'm trying to figure out what the next steps will be when I start getting letters.
0: That's such a good idea.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: what will the art be that you would? It, I don't know yet. Anything. Yes. Any any sort of art. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Thank you. Well, that you. is actually um, such a good idea. I've never, like, what a great idea. How did you come up with that?
1: I recently, I believe it's coming up on Two Years Lost a Friend to Suicide. And in the process of grieving her, I wrote letters to her. And then it always felt wrong to keep these letters, like, It felt that these letters were a weight that I was just holding on to. Mm. And I could have shredded them. I could have burned them, but I wasn't angry. So I was like, it doesn't feel right to destroy them. And then I thought, what if there was a safe place you could send it to where where the letter doesn't even have to be read if you don't want it read? And what could that do for someone who is struggling? So that's where the idea came from.
0: And how did the, le- the letters help you in the process? Yeah, say that was like the number one um, thing that helped you get through that. I would. Wow. That's really cool for anyone listening right now that is grieving someone to do that, to-, to write letters. And do you think that could help with um, like breakups?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Any, any, any grieving process? Yes. Within, write a letter and keep writing letters, but maybe shred them
1: yes that I personally write letters of grief all the time like I've written them to my body and what I've lost because of chronic illness I've written them to my OCD and what I've lost because of my mental illness that you can be grieving anyone anything any bodily function you can grieve anything that has impacted you
0: okay that's so interesting how do you feel when you've wrote the letter?
1: It depends. Sometimes I feel angry. Sometimes I feel relieved. It depends on what I am writing it about mm. and how the emotions I'm feeling that day have impacted that.
0: Yeah. Because like, I guess it's kind of like journaling in a way. Yes. But, yeah. Maybe I need to try this at some point in my life. Maybe I'll send a, this. I, I'm definitely sending a letter to your PO box. That's Thank it. you. Where on the page, is there an address? That you there it is.
1: And I also have a website. So I'll send you all of this. And the website yes. has the address and what the information you need in order to send one. Amazing. Well, uh, well I
0: wish you all the best of luck with that because I think... There's a huge amount of potential. Obviously, Instagram's difficult, so I'm sure um it will it might take some some work to get some followers and to get people, but as soon as people realize um, what you're doing and how cool this actually is, um I have no doubt that this will definitely be something one day. Thank so you. I hope anyone that's listening to this that's anywhere in the world that's grieving someone right now, um will send a letter to Harper and she can create some cool art and I will leave all the details in this podcast as well but um but thank you so much Harper for, for being on here for today for being so open and honest about not only OCD but your chronic illness um you're so brave and I'm excited to see where you'll go both with the um the PO box and also as an art therapist as well
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem.